Welcome to I See What You Mean, a podcast about how people get on the same page or don't, or perhaps shouldn't. Today my guest is Mark Foreman. Mark's a friend and federal government consulting colleague with a career of government IT transformation, including senior leadership roles in the federal government. Mark, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Lou. Thanks, Mark. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Why don't you give listeners a short bio about yourself? Thanks, Lou. I've spent uh, over 30 years inside and out of government and industry, a variety of roles in IT reforms, both in the congressional staff and in the White House as a presidential appointee to the first administrator for e-government, also known as the federal CIO more recently. And, uh, and I've worked with governments all around the world on management reform and, and IT transformation, testified uh, not only in front of U.S. Congress, but for state legislatures and uh, in Australia as well. Hmm. Now, one of the things I like about your background is you're an old operations research guy. <laughs> That's my originally tra- original <laughs> training. I'm not a, a techie by training, but you know... To do any kind of management reform in government, you have to understand the flow of information. Yeah, yeah. And information or information resources management, as it used to be called, right. includes the technology used to, to take advantage of that, whether it's workflows or data analytics. Right. So much of government revolves around information, increasingly so. It is called the chief information officer for a reason. Let's, right. let's, we talked about OKRs when we were doing our prep call, objectives and key results. And let's start there. You, you mentioned it as a framework for government to get a better return on IT spending. So let's start with, tell us what OKRs are, how the federal government could use them, and what would using them get people on the same page about, Mark? Oh, those are great questions. The OKR model is really a framework for return on investment. It's got three parts to it an objective that is transformational. You want to have a big impact. And that objective should carry you as an organization organization for a year or two years. And of course, most of the government major IT investments are at least two years. Mm-hmm. So they're intended to have a big impact. When government does a major IT investment, it's $50 million to a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It should have a big impact. Under that are quarterly key results. And in the way this is being used in Silicon Valley, venture capitalists, the people making these investments, are looking to the software companies to not just reach a milestone or mm-hmm. fund an activity, but actually create something that a customer buys. So it, it's mm-hmm. useful, it's an outcome that matters, and it matters to their customer. And the third element is the activity. Now, the way the government IT investment, capital planning, and control system was set up, you measured the cost of the IT investment, Mm -hmm. you measured the schedule for the IT investment, and what became the performance measurement was milestones. Did you complete an activity? And it's because a lot of folks in government feel that they don't really deliver an outcome. They can only deliver what they can control, which is the activity. Mm -hmm. The OKR model would force them to take a look, not just at what activity they're doing, but what's the relationship between that activity and a performance improvement, an outcome that matters to the citizen, whether it's state and local government that's supposed to work with the federal government. So uh, that's the real value is that it shifts the focus from paying for activities to buying outcomes 
And the real transformation is it gets the folks in government that are doing these transformation projects to understand which activities actually lead to a better outcome. Thanks, Mark. And OKRs have a pretty storied history at Intel and uh, Google. So it's not a new thing and it's not, uh, we're not just breaking the learning curve on it, but how are they different? Just briefly, how are they different than management by objectives or KPIs, which we're all quite familiar with? Right. Uh, well, well, clearly you uh, can have a, a KPI, a key performance indicator that can be uh, a measure of an outcome. And in that case, you could use that KPI mm -hmm. as part of your KR, your key result for a quarter. So you don't necessarily get rid of KPIs. It's really, what are you measuring? And the title, I think, of John Dory's book, you got to measure what matters, <laughs> yeah, is right. the heart of the issue. Right. Yeah. Right. And how would you, how would, some large organizations have used these, but the federal government's large. Right, and there's large and there's Huge. large. <laughs> and so, Biggest IT spending uh, in the world. Yeah. You know, over $100 billion a year spent on IT. You mentioned a number to me, which I've forgotten now. How many programs did you say this administration is setting some uh, objectives for? How many? Is there an account on federal programs? There's a count on federal programs, and there's a focus on improving customer experience. Right, there are about 3,500. I think it's actually uh, over 3,500 programs. So and these programs are things like foods, the food stamp program, yeah. the uh, Head Start program. So uh, 3,500, quite a few programs. And the president has laid out in the president's management agenda and in what he calls the customer experience executive mm -hmm. order mm -hmm. that each of these programs should modernize to improve the customer experience. So the question is, can you have 3,500 different customer experiences? If you're one person dealing with multiple programs, do you really want each program right, to right. have a different customer experience? Right. Now, they could have, it still boggles the mind, but they could have their own objectives. They certainly could have their own key results. But somewhere, so I, when they were used, that I'm, I've, as I've read about at Intel and Google, they, they were established up and down the chain of command. Some of them were top down, but many were bottom up. And in fact, some of those, some of those leaders whose names we know, Andy Grove and, and the Google CEOs, thought it was very important for teams to be able to establish their own OKRs. Not all of them, but a subset of them. So right. how would the federal government go about How could you imagine the federal government going about doing that? Well, let's take a look at the customer experience area. Uh, the, the president in his executive order on customer experience asked the agencies to focus on one key measure of success. Uh, in, in the commercial world, we call it response time or, or cycle time. The president called it the time tax. How long does it take if you are deserving of a benefit to actually get that benefit approved? And it could be months. In some cases, it's over a year. Yeah. And so uh, part of the issue is you've got these legacy approaches where you p fill out a, a form. It used to be paper. Um, now it may be paper or a website. And there's still, right. I think, a lot of paper in the federal government. But you fill out this form. The form then goes into a system. The system runs through some checks. And uh, as we've seen with uh, recent reports on the uh, the PPP 
Paycheck Protection Program mm-hmm. or some of the pandemic relief, the, the way that these had been automated, regardless of whether it was truthful or not, if you figured out how to put the right data and the right elements of the form, you got the benefit. And people who are legitimate trying to figure out the forms or fill in the forms didn't get the benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, part of that was maybe 80% of the cases fit these traditional simple business rules and you can run them through an automated workflow. And it's those, those 20% of the people where you need a caseworker or you need a more sophisticated approach. You need somebody to look at the situation and apply some judgment. Uh, how we treat the individuals applying for benefits or for that matter, state and local governments that get grants, university research centers that get grants, mm-hmm. uh, environmental and other uh, regulatory compliance uh, has to become more sophisticated now. We're in the 21st century and it can't be stuck in a queue. So the question is, if you're in one of these agencies or departments and you're building an IT project, are you improving the customer experience of a form that's built in the industrial era right. in a workflow or process that's decades out of date, right? <laughs> you know, or are you doing something that, that really gets to the heart of this time tax issue, this response time or cycle time issue that the president's called out? Well, one of the things that I think is good about OKRs is that if, if every one of those programs, let's say 3,500 programs had an objective that said, improve, let's say it's called time to benefit, the time that somebody applies for and receives a benefit. Each of them would have their own appropriate activities and they'd have their own appropriate measures, right? The key result. Yeah. So that's useful because then government-wide you have one objective and by program, let's say by uh, department, by uh, you've, got, you've got appropriate key results. The theory with OKRs is the, result, the key results have to be worded such that if they're all achieved, the objective is met. That's a great right. sort of a rule in the system, which I like a lot. So let's say some smart and experienced government officials at different levels of an organization put their brains together and come up with those. And you mentioned quarterly, I think you mentioned quarterly uh, re- reports, yeah, quarterly reviews, yes, yeah. so measuring yeah. quarterly, which is good. Probably a good, a good pace. Tell me how you see some of the mechanics working, like a workflow, the process. How do you see some of the mechanics working so that if they've established those key results and then they turn to their key activities and what are we going to do to accomplish those things? Tell me how you see that process going and how would that jive or not jive? And it's okay if it doesn't with what they're doing now. What would have to be done differently? Maybe what would have to be abandoned, let go of? Yeah, so uh, so I think those are great questions. And I, I think the crux of the issue in modernizing so many of these government systems is really the difference between the user interface and the user experience. Hmm. User interface, uh, maybe the website is easier to use. But what about the people that don't have access to the web? Mm-hmm. Or what about the, the, the people in state and local government who have their own systems Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, they can't interface with these highly customized federal systems. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are things on the technology side that relate to the processing, 
of the data. And then there's also the process. Um, so I'll give you an example. Lou, you're in Florida, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Hurricanes come. Mm -hmm. uh, the federal government gives the money to the state government. The state government makes the money available for the, the local communities. Some are local governments, could be townships, could be a variety of local organizations. That local organization can't just go off and spend that money. They've got to fill out this federal form called a, a project worksheet, I believe it's called. And that project worksheet goes through the state to FEMA. Mm -hmm. FEMA's got to approve it. Now, that project worksheet is basically a spreadsheet, and it's got a lot of terminology and um, costing and, and categories that you fill in that were built back in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. So the last iteration, the government spent a lot of money simplifying that project worksheet okay. interface. Okay. And then they went out and they trained. This was after Hurricane Maria. They went out and trained a bunch of the local communities across Florida. And still, nobody could follow the process. <laughs> in that case, they made it easier to fill in the form, but they didn't fix the underlying process, which is, you know, most of the people filling out that form was, were, you know, people in the township. Maybe they were part-time, maybe they were a volunteer, maybe were they were uh, a fire person, person volunteer fire department right, right. or actual EMT. Right. And, and they didn't know the terminology of yeah. the form. So okay. it was easy to fill out the form, yeah. but they didn't fix the underlying binding constraint on uh, making that form simpler to use or the process easier to work. In the OKR model, if you adopt the way that Silicon Valley uh, addresses this, you would have seen that nobody was using the investment or the, the output of this investment, in this case, a simplified form. And so if your metric is, I build this, and the key result is 10% uh, increase in the use of this, this form or this process, and you saw 0% increase, mm -hmm that would become feedback to the team saying, right. we did the wrong thing. You know, we did it the right way. We used agile development. <laughs> we just did the wrong thing. So this is very much, I think, for government, uh, a requirement to focus on the concept of binding constraints or the bottlenecks of the process. And it, it forces to look beyond the technology to actually see what are the process issues What's that relationship between simplifying the process, the application of technology? Maybe it's there's not enough people right. in that agency to, to run that process. So you build up queues. You made it simpler. A lot of people used the process, but only 10% got through the queues because you made it too simple, too fast. Right. Uh, uh, I, I think that the value here is it... it shifts the focus on these modernization initiatives from an IT project to a true customer experience looking across people, process, and technology. Shift Okay, shift from IT project to a broader look at uh, what you said, people, process, and technology. Here's a thing too, Mark, that should be part of that, I think. One of the things that OKR should do is 
foster or prompt or require a different conversation between parties, right? You you need to have a different right. conversation to get. The objective can be set from the top, but you need to have a different conversation to, to know what the key results should be and the activities that would achieve them. So if federal officials, let's say FEMA, sat down with some state officials, but they maybe they were emergency management people, maybe they were some others, and said, here's our, here's what we need. Here's our form. And let's just say that it had a bunch of cost accounting kinds of things in it, right? Because right. <laughs> FEMA, you know, has to report something to OMB, then report something to Congress, and sometimes somebody from FEMA called up to Congress, and there's got to be cost accounting. Fair enough. But that's not the objective of the program. That's an administrative requirement, perhaps. But it's not the objective of the program. If the program was to get federal money into the hands of local communities for, let's say, emergency preparation, right, and disaster prevention, mitigation, recovery, in the right conversation, and this is this has happened before. It isn't like government officials never have these conversations. But in the right conversation, people would say, look, we understand you have to account for the money, Let's talk about how to do that without making the form all about that or making the process bottleneck on that. Because, now here's where I pick up your point, we've got volunteer firemen filling these out. We've got, we've got you know, small communities along the coast filling these out. It's not always Tampa, right? It's got a government infrastructure and government. It's not always, it's not always a city. Sometimes it's counties and sometimes it's small jurisdictions. And they're not going to get it. They're not going to know what you're saying. They're not going to know what to do. And they're going to think they're going to go to jail if they get it wrong. Right. You, know, you can cause a bottleneck because you're well-intentioned. You want to be able to account for federal money. You think that a part of the process of giving out the money and approving its expense, its, its, its distribution, should be to have a form filled out. And you cause problems you don't know, you don't foresee, because you didn't have those conversations. I think it would be important, and I want to get your thoughts on, on this question, depending on the program, 3,500, 4,000 programs, depending on the program, they should be thinking about who to have those conversations with. Maybe it's, maybe it's just within the federal family sometimes. Maybe it's to state and local officials sometimes. Maybe it's to other um, entities in, 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 in the country. Because really, if you think about it in the way it was used in companies, which are smaller operations, no matter how big they are, they had those conversations up and down a chain of command. Right. And sometimes it was what people at the top couldn't know that came from the bottom to say, here's also what we should do, what we should measure and we should do, that rounded out the OKR. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And, and Lou, of course, some of this is inside baseball because you and I did uh, do that trip around the, uh, <laughs> the U.S. meeting with these various regional offices and uh, and what struck me was how so many of the central office determined IT investments or IT modernization initiatives were well intended, but actually were constraints on the ability of the field to do their job. Right. And uh, so very much this needs to be a, uh, a bottom up understanding the requirements of the field. But but I'll, I'll tell you globally. The failures in applying agile development, which was supposed to be a breakthrough mm -hmm. for modernization, uh, were directly a result of pulling together focus groups and not letting the people in the focus group see 
what technologies could actually simplify the workload or simplify the practice, mm-hmm. but merely how do we simplify the legacy approach to doing the work? I think mm-hmm. the two have to go hand in hand in, in using the focus group. And that's why, though, I think this OKR model is so powerful in the way Silicon Valley did it. It's not what activity was completed. It's who used what you built. And did they renew their use? Did they increase their use? Were more people using it? Right. Yep. You know, if you did that with a lot of these federal uh, programs, you'd see a good number of them were not being used unless people were forced to use them. And I think the government and the central offices would see what we saw in the field. People were doing workarounds yes. and then doing their daily work with a spreadsheet or yes, on paper yes, yes. and then yes. putting it into the system when they were told they had to. But the system wasn't supporting their work. It was... They were supporting the system. They were supporting the headquarters, <laughs> yeah. yes. But the, or or the, the people who wanted the systems. But the people who were doing their work around it and the systems were another burden on them to get their work done. Well, That's what we got to fix. It was ironically on, on one of those trips that you turned me on to uh, Theory of Constraints. And uh, what was the title? I bought the... The Goal. The Goal. We were driving to dinner. I was sitting in the back seat. I downloaded it on my phone. I bought it and downloaded it sitting there and began reading it. And I've read it since and I have several others about the Theory of Constraints. So you made a connection I didn't see coming between OKRs and constraints. So say a little bit more about that. Sure. You know, the book, The Goal, highlighted that you could use computers or computerized machinery in a business process. And each component could be processing at the max performance level. And the overall business process could be failing. Mm. Errors. Uh, cues that slowed things down, inefficiencies, the typical process metrics. And the point was that you had to understand what was the outcome or the objective you were trying to achieve from the process. And then you could manage the flow of work through that process and manage what you applied and how you applied your technology to maximize the the performance measures for that process, be it quality measures, uh, cycle time measures, mm-hmm. cost measures. Mm-hmm. But but you had to do it from a comprehensive look across the process as opposed to looking at each piece of the right. process. Right, right, right. And it isn't... And that's... Sorry. Go ahead. Isn't it also true? Isn't it always the case? There will be a constraint somewhere in there. Right, or bottleneck is... There will be, is right, I'm sorry, about, there will be a, a point where something slows down always. Yeah. And you can, you, and the goal is to do something about that constraint. But even if you do, another uh, another bottleneck will will be in, somewhere in the system. There always will be. So I think part of the, what I got out of it was for process improvement or for good processes or for working better with customer, you should always be having those conversations about what's working, what's not working, where, where is something getting hung up, where are you having to work around something? Right. And understanding the flow right. through that process. Right. So the equivalent in the OKR model is called value stream analysis. Okay. And the concept is that um, if you're looking at achieving the OKRs and you find out that you're not achieving your key results for a quarter, you ought to be able to, to dig into it and understand 
where the process broke down in the value stream. Okay. Um, there's uh, a, a company called TaskTop, and the CIO has done a lot of uh, the CEO, I should say, has done a lot of work on this. In fact, wrote a book about this concept, specifically around agile development, but it applies to other things. And the the example would be, you have a, a software company, maybe it's mid stage, and um, the VC has the venture capitalist has put uh, performance measures on it. They're OKRs mm-hmm. where they're looking at things like renewal and sales growth. And they have a quarter where the renewals are 20%, which means basically 80% of your customers are going away mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. they're not renewing. Mm-hmm. You ought to be able to, to look into your operations and your activities and see what's breaking down. Mm-hmm. And in the example, you could see things like uh, the developer staff's unhappy. And why are the developer and staff developer staffs unhappy? Well, they're not able to focus on creating new features and functions. Why can't they do that? Well, they've got to focus on putting in place security controls because they never built the security controls in from the beginning. So rather yeah. than fixing the product, they've got all these security controls issues that mm-hmm. the clients want and need and they had never put into the product. So uh, that's that value stream model applied to systems development and uh, achievement of OKR in IT development. So imagine, again, uh, one or someone from all of those federal programs who are going to take this on. They're going to use OKR, say start a process of using them, begin the conversations with users. I would hope, Mark, I think, and I would hope that adopting OKRs as a framework would cause programs to have conversations or to learn about their customers in ways that they aren't right now. So they know what the next value should be added, added should be about, right? We know what the program is supposed to do. That's in legislation, that's in regulation, that's in a program. But the customer's life is changing all the time. And innovation in 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 the commercial world is to be on that so that you know what needs the customer's what needs are emerging in a customer's life. So you can offer a value proposition to meet those needs. You can might maybe create new value innovation. I would hope that OKRs would set objectives over a manageable period of time, like you said, a year or two with key results on, on let's say, quarterly basis. I would hope that it would people would begin to understand the need. Wow, we better be gathering information we're not gathering right now. We better be talking to people we're not talking to often enough or maybe in forums that are different than meeting them at a conference, which is legitimate and perhaps valuable, but maybe we need to add to the communication we have with customers or partners in this system of benefit delivery and change those conversations. Those seem like daunting things to do. How are you, those conversations seem like daunting things. Like, how do we do it? Is it, do we hire facilitators? Do we, you know, get a rent, rent some hotel space? What do we, how how have you seen it done? How could it be done? 3,500 programs ought to be thinking about those kinds of things if they're to use OKRs just for the customer experience objective. Well, there are some breakthroughs, sometimes uh, across multiple programs. Uh, there was a law that was passed a few years ago called the 21st Century Integrated Digital Experience Act. 21st Century Ideas, what the acronym is. Mm-hmm. And it requires the... White House Office of Management Budget to identify high-impact service providers. These are 
sometimes programs, but um, a lot of it is the organization that has multiple programs, like the Veterans Benefits Administration mm-hmm. right, okay. at the Veterans Affairs Department, and there are lots of programs under that. They have to take and report survey data, and there are a set of specific questions about uh, d- does the process or service you receive today uh, help improve your trust that your needs are being taken care of, help you improve your trust in the federal government. And it's tied to whether you you come in via the uh, web or you come okay. in via a mobile app. Now, that's, that's fine if you're coming in through the electronic means, but if you're coming in through manual means, right. I think that's, that's kind of the next, next wave. But when you look across all these different programs, I think it's really incumbent uh, on the White House, on the mm-hmm. Office of Management Budget and the e-government office, my old office, to uh, bring forth that citizen-centric approach. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest constraints in the federal government is there is no Office of Citizen Services. Mm-hmm. There's Department of Labor that has labor programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's HHS that it gives grants to the states where you get uh, case management and social services from state governments. There's uh, the food stamp program uh, at agriculture and SNAP. There uh, yeah. are uh, multiple other programs that are a mixture of you come to the federal government, you come to the state government. Uh, we created an initiative when I was at LMB called Gov Benefits. Mm-hmm. And that was the concept that you ought to be able to get an integrated benefit form or be able to apply once. Right. And so much of this is tied to states. So, you know, you've got uh, roughly 50 plus states and territories, depending what state you're in, not rocket science with the computers anymore. Mm -hmm. You ought to be able to fill out an integrated form. It ought to be able to be routed to all these different benefits programs. Mm -hmm. And you ought to be treated like an individual by the government, not like, 30 or 40 different individuals because you're able to access 30 or 40 different programs. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, of course, absent that integrated customer care case management like you'd you'd get at uh, uh, an Amazon Mm -hmm. or Facebook marketplace, uh, you become the integrator. You got to figure all this out yourself. Right, right. And for a lot of people, the studies have shown it's just too confusing. Oh, yeah. You go to the easy ones, but the ones maybe that could really help you. You just don't. If it's too hard, yeah. you don't go to it. Yeah. It's just to, you know, the verbiage of the federal bureaucracy, that's really hard to understand even for people working in the yeah, federal bureaucracy. Yeah, it is. That raises an interesting question about where should the borders or the boundaries be? If we've got right now, let's say, 3,500 defined identifiable programs, that might not be the best way to divide, to think about the OKR questions. Years ago, I had some reason to look at the federal enterprise architecture mark, and I always thought that the business reference model in there was was pretty smart. It had a nice organization of business functions of the federal government. And it would seem, and I always thought, it seemed to me, if you set OKRs by those functions at a high level, and you could cascade them down, some of them would go to different departments, but that's our point. If we have created that much variety of programs across the federal government, but we want to manage them better, and you said, you know, a, a, a better framework for ROI, somewhere 
somewhere in planning and execution and review and budgeting, we, we, we have to be able to roll up the results to see what they are at a business function level or some higher level. How are we doing with healthcare, healthcare for veterans or healthcare for children? How are we doing with transportation, transportation safety? So many things, things cross over, it wouldn't make sense to have a lot of OKRs that were wholly separate, right? Completely, completely separate by, by departments or even by parts of one department. Somewhere you have to roll them up. Do you see that happening? Or, and then Congress is going to get involved in that. Congress would have a lot to say about that. Right. And I think from the congressional perspective, they've already laid out that framework with the Government Performance and Results Act Modernization Act. Mm-hmm. What people call the Results Act. Mm-hmm. So, so just to, uh, if I may, embellish the the business reference model, the BRM discussion. What you're referring to is what we originally called the Federal Enterprise Architecture Reference mm-hmm. Models, mm-hmm. and this was a a business concept for uh, how you organize and uh, align IT spending with your corporate strategy that was brought into the federal government. Uh, many years ago. So the the question at the top that you're asking is what we call the performance reference model. People should know that every spring, the federal government has to report to Congress for the money that's been budgeted, what were the performance results for each of these 3,500 programs. And under the Results Act, the agencies are supposed to work with Congress to set the strategy and the targets for the next year. For example, if it's the uh, school lunch program Mm -hmm. or the food stamp program, how much are we going to reduce hunger in America? That would be the discussion. Now, the business reference model says we've got dozens of lines of business and dozens of activities in the federal government. What are the lines of business now that have to improve in order to achieve that goal. And then under that, what are the business processes that support those lines of business? Those happen to be grant programs to the state governments. And so what are the business processes for the the grants? And Mm -hmm. the grant programs are uh, done using systems and Mm -hmm. uh, concept of risk reviews. Right. Uh, It's a very bureaucratic system where an increasing amount of the the dollars that are supposed to go to help people actually go to administering the process. Right. So it could be a simple thing as we want to have 50% less of the funds spent by the states on administering the program and have that 50% go into reducing the amount of hunger mm-hmm. and measure all that. That would then drive the IT initiative. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get to the state government, the state government generally has local governments doing the casework. If it's state programs, it's generally through a county uh, social worker or caseworker. And the the issue there where the reforms are occurring, the caseworkers call practice models. So there's a, a whole slew of innovation going on at that local level mm-hmm. on how to improve the practice model. And I think one of the great questions is, how do we take the innovations out in the field and put those in all the way back up to the top so it actually does free up the funds 
and it frees up the fund not just in that area doing the innovation, but across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think when you start to focus on the leveraging of innovation from the local governments in one community mm-hmm. across the U.S., then it becomes easier to set the OKRs. The process, the hierarchy of reference models you mentioned and the process of setting objectives and measures to report on annually, presumably would, uh, OKRs would be used. That that sort of, that process would sort of become, wouldn't it, an OKR oh, yeah. conversation? So back to your discussion on the, the cascading issue. Any one program, you know, if you figure a caseworker at the local government is probably looking across 20 to 40 programs to <laughs> figure out the best combination for the client. Any one program only sees and focuses on their specific IT and investment. At that business reference model layer, or really at OMB, you have the opportunity to look across programs. And so the OKR can cascade down to those 20 or 40 programs. The innovation can be shared across those 20 or 40 programs. You can use the OKR process to drive innovation from one group across the country and across the other programs. That's, it, that's the way this cascading would work in the federal government. I think it could be used profitably, and I think it would change the investment picture. It ought to change the conversations that people have about investments so that I think this is an age-old problem. A lot of programs want their IT, and it's it's a bit stovepipe for them. It's their investments, it's their, it's their hardware, it's their software, it's their solutions that they apply to, to problems that are to, to deliver the mission of the program. But we're talking about things about needs from a citizen standpoint, from any federal government customer standpoint, uh, from their standpoint, they don't care. They don't care where the IT came from or where the IT investment was made or who right. made it. Or, but people own some of those IT investments and they guard them. So how would the conversation change if we could look across programs and say, you know, we there's 10 or 15 or 20 or a couple dozen programs that have a piece of some OKRs. Maybe the objective is, is shared. We're going to have some different key, uh, key, key results. And we'll have some separate key activities, but maybe we also would integrate or combine some or collaborate on some. That's got big implications for yeah. changing the conversation about how an investment is made in IT in the next you know cycle or two. I, I think you're right. The question that you're getting at is, how do we inject the voice of the customer across programs as opposed to one by one? Because in the one by one model, you you run the risk of sub-optimization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In some of the recent president's management agenda and the executive orders, and I think this really goes all the way back to, to the Bush administration and the e-government act, mm-hmm. there was a... a clear focus on taking a portfolio approach Mm -hmm. so you understand much like an amazon you have things that you're going to do between your business and other businesses that are part of your environment and there are things that you're going to do across those businesses between you and your customer as a customer your ideal is the customer is not just coming once, but the customer is coming for multiple things right. to your environment. Right. That's a little different in the sense that sure. 
the the government doesn't want to build dependency. Right. The 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 government wants to be like right. a safety net. Right. And build independence, not dependence. I believe. But then you have other aspects in in the regulatory environment, environmental regulation, for example. And for many years, the uh, I think the, the Congress has had hearings, and GAO has reported that the the different regulatory language causes confusion across the regulated because they're not regulated by one agency, it's by multiple agencies regulating generally the same thing or, or at least overlapping. So you have to take a look at this. There needs to be a structure that looks at this from a portfolio approach. Mm-hmm. You call customer centric, but obviously in the regulatory environment, you're re- right. regulating businesses, the real customer Right. It's a public good. It's, right. it's the public is the customer. Right. But you have to look across these systems and programs, and that's really the job of OMB. Fair enough. Is there anything else that has come to mind that you want to talk about? Sure. A couple last points on this model. Sure. This OKR model is really good for transformation initiatives. But the agencies still have to run their business as usual. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really like Christina Wadke's Radical Focus is the book that she wrote. And she talks about uh, a cadence where you have the quarterly assessment of your OKRs, but every week you're looking at your activities, are you getting close to achievement of your key results and the objective, Mm -hmm. while you're also tracking, are we keeping our eye on the business as usual metrics? Mm -hmm. She calls them health checks or health metrics. Okay. Yeah. So agencies need to focus on OKRs for the transformation initiatives, but KPIs still for their, their, uh, operating plans and their operations. You know, Mark, Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So that's, that's one key point. Let me comment on that before you go to the second one. Yeah. Don't forget the second one. That makes me think something that we've talked about before, which is innovation in government. Innovation in any organization, innovation in companies that live and die on it is difficult because their operations are set up every day to create and deliver the value today to today's customers. And they want to do that as efficiently as possible. And yet, the customer's world is changing so the organization wants to continue doing different things to create new value for the customer. That's existing customers or new customers, but there's a current customer, current value, future value, future customer play hard to do in one organization. Even the best organizations in the commercial world are challenged by how to do that. And there's books written on different ways to do it. And to me, it's the weakest part of the innovation literature. There really needs to be more study on how one organization delivers today's value and creates new value at the same time. Government could have a real hard time doing that for the same reasons. They've set up programs. The programs have intended benefits and beneficiaries. They're expected to be efficient in how they deliver those, whether they are or not. And so they've got metrics that they're trying to hit for operational efficiency to get the benefit to today's customers. But we've talked for most of the hour about the fact that much of the conversation has implied change and the government continuously creating new value for customers. So what I heard you say there was that a combination of things, OKRs being one, could help with these two different conversations and perhaps these two different organizational endeavors. Right. I think 
you can't boil the whole ocean, mm -hmm. especially to start. Mm -hmm. Right. The focus today on uh, rewarding activity, mm -hmm. essentially rewarding actions rather than results, mm -hmm. has to change. Right. And I think an organization has to learn how to pick the right activities right. that generate outcomes. So I think one approach to doing this is to get agencies to learn by picking just one or two of their IT investments. It's true out of the um, $100 billion, somewhere around $15 billion is being spent on uh, what's called Development Modernization and Enhancement, DM&E. Mm -hmm. uh, these are your modernization initiatives. And every agency has multiple ones. How much change can a, a cabinet agency right. or cabinet department right. absorb? I think it's a great question, and I don't think there's any perfect answer. So starting with something very small, focused, uh, stretch. The second point I was going to make is it's a learning process. Mm -hmm. It's not like a rigid rule. If you do this, magically success occurs the first quarter. Right, right. You have to learn which activities... Yeah generate the outcomes. If you never focus on outcomes, but you just focus on funding completion of activities, it's a random walk. Maybe you'll achieve it, maybe you won't. Yeah. But learning which activities generate outcomes is almost like an iterative approach. It is. And, and so I, I think that's, that's uh, key for agencies to be successful here. Yeah, you're right. And the literature about OKRs emphasizes that. Those organizations that came to do them well had to learn. They didn't do them well you know, out of the gate. They had to learn how to have those conversations, who to involve in those conversations, when to bail on something, when to double down. They, if you have to learn those things, and I think the only safe way to do that, and it, it, we do need some safety in it, is like you said, pick, pick one or two. Maybe pick an objective or two, pick a IT systems related to it. You're almost experimenting with it yourself to see how to apply it and see what works and what doesn't work and before you maybe roll it out, before you start right. tying investments to it, you know, before something really consequential is done with it. Right. Anything else, Mark? Oh, no, I think that's, I think we've covered a lot of the ground. I'm looking at my notes here. I, I, I had fun going back and looking at Dora's book and some other things and thinking thinking about this, especially as it applies to to the federal government. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining the, the podcast. Uh, you know, whether we were working or, or golfing, I always had a lot of fun talking to you and, and, and learned a lot. So thank you very much for taking the time to do this with me today. Likewise, Lou. This is great. Thank you. All right, my friend. Appreciate okay. it. All right. All right. Take care, Lou. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. And that's how we see it, my friends. I want to thank Mark for recording today's episode. You can find it at iseewhatyoumean.castos.com plus all the usual places. Send questions and suggestions through the app. Subscribe and give me a five-star rating unless you can't, in which case, let me know why. And join me next week when we'll take another look at how to get on the same page and stay there, unless we shouldn't.